Good morning, beloved. Whoa, it's chilly this morning. Woke up to a chilly 22 degrees, and we've got a beautiful snowfall that just started as I was on my way out here, and it is needed. It gets kind of depressing when you don't get any new snow. It just gets browner and more melty and darker, darker. It is somewhat depressing. Had my cold shower this morning and an, really kind of an incredible experience. As I told you guys, I am into week three of my... Come on down, Mama. Come on. It's Friday. We'll make an exception. I'm not coming up there to you. You come down here to me. It's week three of my um, going through the Wim Hof 10-week program, and it's incredible, uh, the changes. The first two couple weeks um, were, you know, basically some stretching and the breathing exercises, which are pretty phenomenal. But this morning, I had kind of a breakthrough, just an, a very interesting experience. I don't ever recall being so in the moment, like so relax, so uh, free from the burden and cares of life as I did towards the end of this in a, just a perfect state of relaxation. You know, if you would have told me this sort of thing, I thought it was a bunch of hocus pocus and a bunch of hippie nonsense, but there is something to it. There is something that we have lost. We think that the reality that we're in, I used to think so, that that's all there is to it. Goodness, there is more going on behind the scenes than we think. And to be able to Get yourself to the point of relaxation where you can calm your mind, calm your soul, and almost detach yourself from all of the cares of the world, just even for a brief moment, is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. I almost put myself into a, such a state of relaxation this morning that I, it, was a, it was a mix between being, uh, it, it, I was lucid, but you feel like, like you're in a dream state, uh, but not asleep. Incredible. I, I just I came out of this and went into my breakfast and it was absolutely amazing. Speaking of breakfast, well, we're having some fun with the Tradcon breakfast. That is very triggering. <laughs> if you want to, if you want some fun, uh, just go over there uh, to those comments. Uh, it is um, well. It what is it? Are, are you not gonna? The squeaky wheel gets the grease, Mama. We got to cut her a little bit of slack. I, she doesn't. I think it's always a bit cruel to have animals solitary animals where you don't have one it's not I mean, more than one i mean it's cats maybe a little bit different they're certainly a little bit more independent but i sometimes you see a lone horse or a lone cow out in the middle of the field and it just breaks my heart for those herd animals that uh, if you're going to have cattle or cows or animals if you can i think it's best to have two at least they have someone to talk to or to commiserate with mama but we'll give her a special attention here on friday don't let me forget to start my sterling engines of course my manservant jariah he's not here to help me on fridays he has three-day weekends and so that means it's up to me and mrs w bless her this morning you want to talk about a good woman i was uh, scrambling and trying to get ready and everything ready for the live stream and she was putting her coat on and said can i go out out in the shop and start your fire for you and I said, of course not. I will start the fire. But just the thought, it's a thought that counts. All right, all right, Mama. Boy, you're woolly. You're woolly. I can tell when, when, when it gets cold because you get pretty furry. All right, let's get our lantern started. We didn't get our lantern started yesterday, and then we'll jump. Stay. <laughs> Stay. <laughs> we'll, we'll jump into our super chat. Now, I, have, I, I was supposed to get down to the hardware store because we have been funded by one of you very generously for uh, sent the funding for the proper gas for our dual fuel lantern that is supposed to prevent these dangerous flare-ups that I've been uh, been dealing with but 
Again, I had to send my manservant dry down there to get some supplies, and I haven't been able to do it. I just don't like to get out too much anymore. The more I, I'm, I'm dug in like, a, as my granddad said, dug in like a, like a Mississippi tick uh, into uh, my home. And if I can avoid going out into the public, I do it. I do it. But bless Jariah. He does it for me. He runs a lot of errands for us. So I will get down there, and we will get some gas. All right, here we go. So the first thing... The first obstacle, the hurdle that we have to cross is the gas spillage. Now I have, if you're just joining us, I have for some reason um, a handicap when it comes to dealing with oil and gas. I will spill it every single time. I lose track of things, I don't pay attention, I overfill, I get impatient. I think it all stems behind me being impatient. I'm going to be silent here and again. You're witnessing a man operating at the extreme limits of his ability. All senses are engaged. I'm listening. We did have a limited spill day the other day. I wouldn't say it was completely. So I, I, I got to quit when the, when the getting's good here. Don't get too greedy. Yeah, that funnel will get you. It's still dra it, dra it drains out. It has like a delay. And it, it lures you into a false sense of security. And you think it's done and it's not. Okay. We have not spilled not a drop so far. What are the chances? But this is only half the battle. As you know, the lighting of the infernal thing is the worst part. Scares the dickens out of me every time. Okay, 30 pumps. It would be a good thing for Proho to have a couple of these lanterns around. They produce pretty good light. They produce pretty good heat. And everybody's got a little bit of gasoline around. It's interesting. Sometimes I wonder if this push for electric cars is, um, is just if there's something more sinister behind it. Meaning, our, uh, our, our friends in the federal government, it gives them the ability. Does it give them more control over us where they can simply send a code or a Wi-Fi signal and turn the thing off if you don't tow the line versus having independent fuel sources? I wonder, sometimes I wonder if there isn't that push for that. There isn't something insidious behind it. We'll get lit right here, and we will jump into your super chats. Man, Friday, the best day of the week. Sabbath evening starts this evening. It is, I look forward to it more than any day the whole week. Here we go. Oh, come on now. Oh, this is taking way too long. Oh, goodness. It's hard on the heart, this. What I suffer for you guys. Each time I light this thing, it takes a, a week off my life. But it is such a nice glow. I don't like LED lights, man. I, I, I mean, they're, they're a necessary evil. I, I was sad when they discontinued their the incandescent lights. That warm glow of incandescent light just cannot be re replicated by an LED. 
So when I'm working around the shop, people ask why I like this thing. I've always got work to do in here. I prefer to have it. it does, it's got two roles. It keeps my hands warm and it produces the most beautiful warm light. The only thing better is a fire. All right, are we, are we gonna go? Boy, ignorance is bliss, huh, Mama? If you only knew the danger. There we go, we got it, we got it. It was actually pretty seamless. We did not spill any fuel. Let us go buy a lottery ticket. All right, let's wrap up here and we will get started with the show. Had my cold shower this morning. Man, it was good. I, the river beckons. <laughs> the river beckons. So if you're just joining us, I have recently discovered the Wim Hof uh, cold shower breathing method. There are many of you. Shout out to you who are doing it. Put sevens in the comment if you are doing your cold shower and your Wim Hof breathing method. Seven for a cold shower, three sevens if you're doing cold shower and Wim Hof breathing method. It is absolutely changing my life. The energy level and just the clarity of thought and just the power and focus to get through the day is astonishing. But I've, I just feel, you ever feel drawn to something? Like you're just, like, like, a, like a, a magnetic pull to something. I, I'm very keen to get down there and once I go beyond the, beyond the shower, I think that the thing to do is going to be to, to get into that cold river. I think that's where it's really, really going to be at. T Are you coming down? Oh, come on down. Come on. Come on. Come on, there's no reason why you can come here with me. The river, I think, is where it's at. I, there's always a smell of burning fur around here. Mama Kitty, for some reason, she doesn't have very good control of her tail, and she, gets, she likes to sleep underneath the wood stove because it's the warmest place. It warms up all the concrete, and I, I'm always, she's always dragging her tail on the glass door, and, and it's burning. All right, nothing like going to have cat fur all over me the rest of the day. All right, let us jump into and get the show started here. We have a super chat from Oh Just Go Get Over It and brand new member, shout out to you, good way to start the day. Now if you, our goal here, as I've been saying, is in a perfect world, we can be completely 100% subscriber funded. Get ourselves a site, everything independent of all of the dancing around and all of the silly games we have to play to avoid censorship is gonna be very liberating and we're gonna be sharing a lot, of, lot more fun things. We can share a lot more of personal protection items and just, talk and say things that uh, are just not going to be allowed. That is going to be the future. And there's a lot of creators moving that way or getting tired of it. As I said a couple days ago, YouTube is just getting boring. It's getting boring because the content is so censored and it's so curated that you just see the same old milk toast nonsense. And I mean, there's a few creators that are, you know, kind of clever, kind of get around it. But man, it's just terrible. I I'm literally watching in real time videos disappearing in mid midstream um, for for who knows why it's just terrible it's just terrible but he says new member well shout out to you shout out to you we have a super chat from adrian andre shout out to you adrian says i didn't go to college but i am an intelligent fast learner and work to the best of my abilities with 100 percent work ethic what field is best suited for me well yeah you know that was always when i was growing up there was this impression or this idea that um, everyone needed to go to college. You know, of course, you, of course you go to college. And if you didn't go to college, then you were being left behind and you were re basically relegated to the trades. And I never went to college and I'm not, I'm, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I'm not stupid either. 
And I always resented that. There was always a bit of a stigma. Uh, I re as I've said, I remember going into lunch and I worked in construction and excavating and we'd try to go have lunch somewhere in the wintertime because we're freezing to death, be outside working in rain gear and all that and muddy boots, and people looking down on you. And, you know, always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder from that because I, I felt that that was really unfair because I always felt that that to, to the effort and intelligence and ability that it took to do something like framing a house or finish carpentry uh, was far superior to the person that was white collar that was just shuffling papers around or doing reports and they always seem to look down on you but that's changing now isn't it uh, blue collar is going to be the future because bl blue collar is actually useful these all of the as these corporations you know what i think happened mama you're just going to have to go up here and you keep you get your own blanket. What I think has happened with these huge layoffs that we saw, we've seen these massive layoffs in Silicon Valley. Because they're supposed to remind me here. We have enough heat for both of them? Yeah, the little single cylinder is more, more efficient. I think the thing that broke, the, the straw that broke the camel's back with these mega corporations and all of these tech layoffs was when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Now Twitter, <laughs> in, inside the industry, everyone was always a little bit envious of Twitter in Silicon Valley. And there was a funny thing that they used to say that Twitter uh, was a clown car um, that crashed into a bank or, or a vault full of money. <laughs> you know, they, they just kind of were at the right place at the right time and lucked out and it was a circus inside of there. And when Elon came in there, and he took a look at things and he started getting rid of dead weight. And what did he get rid of? You know, 70%, 80% of the staff or the employees there. And we find out that after he did that, we realized that, well, it seems to be running just as good as it did before, maybe even better without all that dead weight. Do you think that Facebook and Amazon and YouTube and Google, that the investors of these companies didn't pay attention to that? And they didn't take a hard look at these campuses and all of the luxuries and, and, the, and, the, and the, <laughs> the ridiculous overhead that they had. You know, I've been down to the YouTube campus four times. I've been invited down there for various reasons. Um, I've been down, invited down there to speak uh, to new employees, to get a perspective from a content creator side uh, for the folks that are writing the code and, and you know, just, just meet and greet, that sort of thing. And what I saw was astonishing to me. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. You walk in there and uh, it's just like, it's like playtime. It's like playtime. It's full of kids. <laughs> That uh, they go in and there's a big bowls of candy and they grab candies and, and snacks all over the place and then they go in and get their massage and then they go in and get their fruit smoothie and then they go over and get their, their did I say massage? And then they go over to the butterfly room where they can sit and collaborate and actually, you know, I don't know everything behind the scenes but what I saw, I would be surprised if they worked two hours a day in those campuses, really. I mean, by the, after the, and the eating, I heard someone told me that what it cost to have this food and the cafeteria was unbelievable. So lunchtime came up and of course they, when we were there, each time we would have lunch there and you would show up and there wasn't one option, there wasn't two option, there wasn't three option, there was four options, 
four completely different options. There was a vegetarian option. There was an Indian. There was a barbecue. There, it, whatever. It rotated, and it was not crummy food. It was top of the line, like really nice stuff. Unlimited sodas, unlim an ice cream bar. And then not only that, but they served breakfast as well. And they served all these lunches with all these choices. And then after work, they had out on the patio a full, uh, like a pit barbecue. They were, you could go out there and eat and a, and a, a beer and wine. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. I heard someone told me, and I don't know if this is true, but they said that it costs $400 per person per, per day uh, to feed these these employees. Well, that's not happening now, is it? <laughs> they're cutting all that out. And I think that was primarily the investors along as well as with the, the economy. Like, you know, th this is just ridiculous. You know, th that, that, that those days are over. So there's a lot of folks that were really snooty and looking down their, their noses at us, us blue collar guys with their six figure incomes that are now sitting in an apartment in San Francisco with a $4,200 rent, um, wondering what the heck they're gonna do with no skill set and, and a very bleak future. So he who laughs first laughs last, huh? So I would say to answer your question, get into the trades. Get into something that you can do uh, that you're gonna enjoy doing. What's your aptitude? Do you like doing electrical? I, I'm a big proponent for my son, you know, what I've been suggesting to him, Mrs. W and I to him, is, is get an electrical certificate. You know, and, and we all have, if you're a young person and you're not attached, do you have 24 months to get that? And you're not, it's not like you're gonna be slaving. I mean, you're gonna go to a, a trade school or you can get, go to a community college. You might be going one or two nights a week, maybe, maybe one day a weekend, but goodness, that sets you up for life. You get that certificate, now you can go pull your own permits, I mean, just if, even if you didn't go to work for a company, if you just hung a shingle, got yourself a van, basic set of tools, you know, just a real, real, relatively, I would say for, if you didn't go top of the line of everything, I'll bet you could get yourself set up as a commercial or as a residential electrician for 50, 60 grand. You know, no problem whatsoever. And you should be able to, to bank that sort of money easily in a year if you're frugal working for a company. And I would recommend you do that. Get your certificate, get your, become a journeyman, go to work for a good shop, work with them for a year so that you can learn it. There's only so much that you can learn in, in the class, in, in that setting. You really do need to get out and work shoulder to shoulder with, with men that know the trade. But I would say most guys within a year, you would know what you needed to know to do basic work. And I mean, you're talking, you could, you could work two jobs on a weekend, side jobs, wire houses up, whatever. You're gonna have low overhead. You'll be able to come in less money than the big shops. So you're, you're gonna be in high demand. And how would you like to, to make 180, 100 grand a year working three days a week? Cause that's totally possible for you. I, I think that that would be a great trade. There's even, I heard yesterday that um, Home Depot has set aside or is providing millions. I mean, it was, it was a massive amount, millions of dollars to help young people that want to get into the trades of, of electrical uh, and plumbing because there is going to be a tremendous shortage. If you are just coming out of school right now or you're 20-something and you're kind of floating around not knowing what you want to do, by the time you get that, in three years, the demand for that skill set is going to be tremendous. You are going to be, you're going to be able to name your price. Uh, it's going to be, it would be the best decision of your life. I, I think it would be a good thing to do. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for your super chat. We have a super chat from Mr. Dean Pickett, a one-year member. 
Good afternoon, sir. Welcome. Always good to see you. Thank you for your faithfulness. And we have a super chat from Beth Grant DeRoos. Beth, I heard Overton told me that I missed your super chat. He, when I was closing down the stream yesterday, he said, is there any reason why you didn't answer Beth's super chat or her message? And I said, oh, goodness, I didn't even see it. Had I known it was there, I would have put it to the top of the line. Beth has been with us for a long, long time. Mrs. W. and I, we received the email you sent, and um, thank you for doing that. She read it to me today, and our heart goes out to you. That's tough. It's a tough loss that you had, but you've always been faithful. One of our tier one, tier one supporters, and always has been Miss, Miss Beth. Good to see you here. Thank you. We have a super chat. Oh, uh, she says, please speak to firearm safety with young children in the home. Yeah, so... <clears throat> The first line of defense, when I, as I've said, when, when I grew up, it was a different time and a different culture. We kept uh, all firearms in the closet <laughs> and loaded, right, ready to go. It was just, it was a non-issue. A firearm in our house or in my friends' homes, in, in, the, in the environment that I grew up with, because they were ubiquitous, they were just so common and we had been taught the danger of them uh, and, and how to handle them from the time we were able to walk, it just was never a concern. It was, it was a tool no different than a hammer or a staple gun. Uh, there was nothing more to it than that. And because I was, I was raised in, in a closed community, in a Christian cult, all of my friends, they were all on the same page. We all hunted together, and it was just never an issue. There was never the, I, the thought that somebody, some kid would come over and do something stupid. It just wasn't done. It, maybe it was irresponsible, but it was just a different time. I mean, we didn't even have seatbelts in our, in our cars back then. So that is no longer an option because of um, lawsuits. Something could happen, and you would be found negligent. Also, it's a very bad idea to store firearms uh, in a closet because one thing that thieves know is when they come in, one of the first things that they look for is, is firearms. And they know where to find them. Because a firearm, a rifle, is not going to, the only place you can safely put it where it's not going to fall over and ding the scope or get damage is in a corner. And there are four corners in every room, so you can quickly search the rooms and find the corners, usually behind some clothes or a closet or something, and there you're going to find granddad's hunting rifle. Uh, a lot of people are not on board with, with the gun safes. So the very, to address best question, the, best question the first thing you need to do if you have little kids is is you need to show them the destructive power of the thing it will make a very strong impression if you oh i got burnt hair again mama it will make a very strong impression uh, if you take a watermelon cantaloupe pumpkin what have you take a shotgun 410 what have you and show them the destructive power of the thing it will make an impression that's the first thing that i would do this is not a toy and they, it's really dangerous because they, these can be really dangerous because they, they've grown up playing video games. They've grown up watching TV where people get shot, just get up and it's not, not a big deal. Or you can hit the reset, reset button and just go and go and go. As silly as that may sound, that is in their psyche and that's in their mindset. They don't often understand the destructive power of the thing. So show them the destructive power of the thing so that they understand that this is not a toy and this is dangerous. And then you need to lock it up. You need to lock them up. What our solution is, is a gun safe is nice, but a gun safe, I like to have things spread around. Uh, a central gun safe, if you have it out in your garage or in, a, in the party room or whatever, doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you're in and that there is a bad guy 
or an intruder between you and that safe. Uh, that is a, that, that's not something I would be comfortable with. Yes, you probably need a big gun safe if you have a decent collection because you can't keep the, there's a lot of things that are going to be family rifles or hunting rifles that you're not going to be getting at. You keep those in there. That's fine. But when it comes down to your personal defense, where are you going to be in the nighttime? Because that's generally when the, when the break-in is go going to occur, and then you need to act accordingly. So if you, just, if you don't have a large collection and you're just starting out and you're on a budget, I think the best, the best option for a handgun is going to be a small fingerprint type or, or they're not fingerprint but it's a it's got a you can look there's small lock boxes that take a nine volt battery and you put you punch a code into them with your fingers and they open up and you can put those on your nightstand uh you can put them in a nightstand drawer it's a pretty good way to do it it's very handy you can have your flashlight in there an extra magazine and whatever it is that you've decided to have for your sidearm and i would on a, when it comes to a bed a bed stand sidearm i would not have one without a light on it the thing you really really want I know, all, I know all the deal with the flashlight and such, and that's fine if you train for it, but you, what, what you want is you want to eliminate any sort of fussiness, any sort of complication, any sort of confusion that is going to trip you up in the middle of the night. Because when you're under stress, and I have shot and trained a lot under stress, your fine motor skills, they basically just go away, and your hands turn into flippers. Really, that's it. So you need things, you need to be able to look, you get tunnel vision, you need to pick it up, it needs to work, it needs to be simple, no confusion. That's why I'm a big fan of the G19, G19X. The G19X is very nice because you've got a great big old grip on there. You've got a full-size grip that is easy to grab onto, it's not fiddly. It's very difficult to hold on to a small compact, and they're very difficult to shoot. And if you're sweating or you're nervous, you can drop these things. They're just, they're not handy. They have a place. Sometimes you have to have that. They're very nice for carry, but I would say that that would be something for an advanced person. A G19 or even a G17 or the 19X, I think, is the sweet spot between the two. You've got a great big old handle. You can hold on to it. No problem. Good grip. Put a light on there. Put a stream light on there. Put a Surefire on there and call it done. Throw an extra mag in there. You're good. Lock that thing up. Now for rifles, I prefer to have a rifle. I'd much rather have a rifle than a, than a handgun. I have both by my nightstand. The uh, method that I use is from Securit. Securit makes, um, uh, they call it a quick box, and it's full length. You can get a 16-inch rifle in there, and they're, they're really, really clever. They got four buttons on the front. Uh, they're electric, and you punch in your code, turn the deal, they unlock. You can put two long guns in there, or the nice feature, it comes with bracketry. And the best way to do it is you can mount it underneath your bed. So if your bed is here, you're sleeping, you can reach around, and with a little bit of training, your finger will go right on those five buttons. You push your coat in, the door will spring open, you can pull it out, and you're good. That's a really, really good way to go. So that's what I would do. I would do for small handgun, I would do just a small box. You can get them at Cabela's. They're everywhere. They're all over. Just get one with good ratings. Make sure you, have, make sure you set on your calendar, replace that battery annually. And, uh, also, and then for the long guns, uh, I would go with the Securit fast box. You can also mount those fast boxes in the back of trucks. They fit really good in there because they mount horizontally. So that's a really good option. But that's what, that's what I do. Thank you, Beth. Spartan219, shout out to you, Spartan. Spartan says, when, do you, when you do the cold showers, do you start on full blast cold or lukewarm, then reduce it until it's full? So here's what I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So when I've, I, I get up in the morning and it's cold, we keep our bedroom about 65, 64, 65, 66 degrees. And it's winter time, you know, and houses are just cold and drafty when you live up in the mountains. And it is very, very, it's very difficult uh, to get out of your warm bed and get into that thing. So what I do is I do, I set a timer and I, and I set, I do um, five minutes of deep bending squats. You know, just, I put my plate carrier on too, because I, I need the weight. And so what I do is I'll, I'll just getting myself psyched up. So I'll, I'll just do really, really slow on, and I do it on my toes. And, and I do go down like this and, and up very slowly. And that gets my thighs burning like crazy. And it heats up my body really quickly. In about two minutes, your body will be super, super warm. And I'll even work up a, I'll even kind of work up a sweat on you. And in five minutes, you're warmed up. You've had a really good exercise. You've got the blood flowing and all that. Now I'm ready to go. <laughs> I still have to ha have Wim Hof hold my hand. I actually, I downloaded, he's got a short video. It's, in a, it's a short, but it's a cold showers for beginners. And I have that downloaded on my phone. I have YouTube Red or whatever it is. So that's saved on there. So I pull that up as I'm doing my deep, neat, my, my squats, warming myself up, and I put that thing in, up in the shower, uh, and it motivates me. I, he's, he gets in the shower with you. He, he's very inspirational, <laughs> and that's what I do. So about, about five minutes in, he's getting ready to get in his shower, and I go in there. So what I do is before I step in, I turn the water on, and I turn it on tepid to warm, maybe a little bit more on the warm side, because so, I, don't, I don't like the shock very much. And so I wait, and I'm watching him. <laughs> I'm watching him, and when he, when he gets in, I jump in. And when I jump in, I say, I say hey, Siri, uh, start a three-minute timer. Don't, don't do it here. Hey, Siri, cancel timer. You guys are all hating on me. I know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. So the timer starts, and I jump in. Uh, and as soon as I jump in, I flip it over to full cold on, and, and then I go uh, for three minutes. That, that's the way I do it. It's, um, I know it's silly, but I, you know, it's my little ritual, and that's what I have to do because it's, uh, it's difficult to do, man, still. But I'll tell you today, I'm really, I, I used to, even last week when I was in there, I, I, I was, you know, <laughs> jumping around, jumping around, and turning around, you know, rubbing and like really, you know, really is a lot of tension. But now I'm, I'm getting, I'm calming myself and I've just, I just deal with it. And I start on the front, uh, hits me on the front. And as soon as it hits me that it seems to help to have, I have the cold, the warm water on me when I step in and, and then it slowly, you know, over four or five seconds, it turns to the cold and I, and I don't feel it anymore. There's, there, there is no shock anymore. And then I just rotate around make sure that I just slowly spin, get all wet. I get my head, get my head. I can't keep my hands in it. My hands go to sleep. The water is so cold. So I keep my hands out of it, but that's what I do. I make sure I get front and back kind of equal, just kind of rotisserate around. And when that timer goes off, I step out. But I don't, um, when I first stepped out on the first week, I would just had uncontrollable um, shivering like just teeth clattering and I mean I just couldn't hardly really deal with it. it was like almost like having convulsions that was so shocking to my system but I don't have that anymore I step out 
and my body's all covered with water, it's evaporating and you're still super cold. It's still super cold and you're still receiving that benefit, right? And I don't get in any hurry. I just start with a towel and I'm just, I'm breathing. Deep breathing is really important. And I dry off my hands and dry off my arms and just my hair and, and just very slowly over a period of, you know, three, four minutes and, and just let that, that water stay on me and kind of extend, extend that whole process. Uh, that's how I do it. But I want to get in the river. That's going to be the, that'll be the next step. I think that's where it's going to be at. Shout out to you, Spartan. Good to see you here. Mr. Joe C., a member for three years. Shout out to you. Welcome. Good to see you here. He says, what are your opinions on the new MacBook Pros? I just ordered the M2 Mac. I'm sure the M2 Pro would have been fine. Apologize if I've already shared this. Yeah, so I, it's the best computer I've ever had. I, I edit on Mac. Uh, and I have, I have the first... I don't have the, the last one, the M2. I have, maybe it's the M1, the previous one, the first Apple silicone that came out in a MacBook Pro that's maxed out with, with the biggest of everything because that's my number one editing computer. It's phenomenal. I had, before that, I had an iMac that was maxed out as fast, the best of everything, you know, the, the, the top spec build, and it was the last of the Intel chips before they went to the Mac. And I have compared them side by side. I've, I mean, I use them, I'm very familiar with them in rendering big files. Because if I shoot a, you know, what, like these, like rendering these big files for, I, you know, I shoot them in 4K, the, the MacBook Pro with the, with the Mac Silicone is probably 50 per, 40 to 50% faster than a maxed out Intel processor from before. It, it is the best computer I've ever had. I use it, I'm, I'm on it hours a day. It, it doesn't get hot. I've never heard the fan. I never have any problems with it. It is a beautiful, beautiful machine. And the fact that they went back to all the cool stuff that they took away for some reason, it's got the MagSafe plug. So when you have little kids running around, you know, you, that, that is really valuable. It's got the SD reader on the side. They brought that back. That's very, very valuable because that's the media that we use out of our cameras. So you can come straight out of camera into the thing. It's the best computer I've ever had. I watched several reviews on it uh, from some people that I trust. I was thinking about upgrading because this is my main computer, this is my main tool, uh, and I stay current, I wanna, I wanna have fast, you know, if I can have something that speeds up my render time, you know, that gives me more time with my family, so it's worth it to invest in it for me. And then they were so close that the general consensus is if you have the first gen Mac silicone, uh, then there wouldn't really be any point unless you just like to throw money away to go to the, to the next one. So I'll usually skip a generation, but yeah, buy it. I mean, you, you can go, you can go look at the reviews for yourself. It, it's, it's, it's the best out there. It's awesome. I love mine. Shout out to Cast Iron Kyle. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Stubby and new member. Good to see you back, Stubby. Stubby says, great to see you today. Cody, what mix ratio do you use for your saws with Amsoil Sabre 2-stroke? They say you can go to 100 to 1. Yeah, so, man, I've, I've struggled with that. So what, what he's talking about, so your... Still is going to recommend, I, I forget, it's either 50 to 1 or 60 to 1. What we're talking about is, is two-stroke engines. Two-stroke engines, if you don't know, are a little bit different than what you have in your car because they don't have a reservoir of oil. So in your car, as the engine's turning, it's got a crank and an oil pump, and it's, it, it, it has a reservoir with a sump that is pumping oil and lubricating all the valve train and, and all that sort of thing. A two-stroke which is what you're gonna have on your chainsaws or some motorcycles, um, lawn equipment, different things. 
it is, doesn't have that oil. It requires oil to be in the fuel, mixed. So as it comes through these reeds, it actually lubricates all of the, the connecting rod and, and the crank and all that stuff very differently. And so what he's talking about is the manufacturer has, they'll have a, a certain ratio. They'll say it's got to be 50 to 1, it's got to be 60 to 1, whatever. Amsoil came out with a super premium, high quality synthetic uh, that they claim you don't have to listen to the manufacturer's recommendations. You can run it at 100 to 1. So <laughs> that's a hard thing to do if you have something that's really valuable. If you're going to go buy a brand new steel chainsaw and you've got $1,200, thousand bucks into the powerhead, you know, do you want, is it going to save you money? I mean, is it worth the risk to, to thin that oil out? Well, from what Amsoil, they swear up and down, you absolutely can. We've done exhaustive testing. You can run it at this. And why this is important, maybe not so much to you, but to, to big users like landscapers, this is really important because high quality mix for all of their lawn equipment, their leaf blowers, chainsaws and all of that, you know, that's a big expense. They go through that like crazy. It really, really adds up. And, and if you can eliminate some of that, or if you can cut that cost by 30, 40%, that's very appealing to them. And they're doing it. They're doing it. And, th and these are people that run fleets of it. And from what I hear, who I talk to and what I've read online, nobody's having any problems. Even when you go to the mechanics, when they're tearing these things down, they're looking at the cylinders and, and, and say, yeah, it looks good. And, and so I don't see any problem. So I have been weaning. <laughs> I have not w been willing to go whole hog with that and run the 100 to 1. I have jumped up to 80 to 1. Now, I've been running 80 to 1 on my 300 on my Husqvarna, which is a two-cylinder that I run really hard, and it's due for a new piston. I'm going to be putting a new piston in it here pretty soon. So I'm going to be very curious to see when I pull that head off and pull that piston out to re-piston to re it, uh, if indeed there is any wear or scarring in the head. So the, word, the verdict is out on that for my personal experience. But from what I hear and what landscapers are doing, they're saying absolutely you can run it at 100 to 1. That's hard. You know, that's half the oil than, than, than what, that's, that's double, double diluted from what the manufacturer is recommending. But um, from what I hear, yes. So I don't know. I, don't, I haven't tested it. But the biggest test for me is going to see when I pull that piston out of that 300. If 80 to 1, if it's clean at 80 to 1, man, I might jump it up. Maybe if it's a 90 or 100 to 1. The nice thing that I notice about running 80 to 1 is there's much less smoke. There's less smoke. And it, when I run at 60 to 1, I get a little dribble of oil after a big ride out the tailpipe. And what that's telling me is there's unburned oil. So you're, it could be over-oiling it. Is that a problem? You know, not really. If a little bit drips out the back. But when I run it uh, 80 to 1, I notice that I don't get that oil and I get less smoke. So take that for what it's worth. We'll find out. But thank you, Stubby. We have a super chat from K Bowers 8111 and two-month member. Shout out to you, K Bowers. He writes, where do you draw the line between civil disobedience and just asking for trouble? I guess in what area? Um, that is a balancing act, right? Uh, you know, the solution, the solution to all these problems that we have are so simple if we could just get everyone on board. Um, but I don't know that we ever will be able to get on board because no one wants to be 
no one wants to be, the, to be made an example of. Is it the Japanese or the Chinese that have the, the proverb of, you know, the nail, the nail that sticks its head up is the first one pounded down? You know, or the analogy, if you have a, if you have, I think the analogy is if you have a wood floor and it's nailed down and one of the nails starts to, to, to pick up and rise up, rise up against the system is what they're saying, is that the, uh, he who has the hammer, that's the, what's going, that's where the attention is going to be and that will be the first one knocked down and that usually keeps everything else in line. I, I don't advocate violence. I, I, I'm not a violent person. I would, I would never want to participate in any sort of violence. It, I hope that would never be necessary. But the best way to do it, if, if people would just stop complying. If, if there are rules that are being uh, handed down from on high that go against our basic human rights, that go against our, our faith, that go against our, our, our U.S. Constitution, then if we just didn't comply, then they wouldn't have any power. They wouldn't have any teeth. They could say, you have to do this or what have you, but they don't have the ability to enforce it. They don't have the manpower. But who's willing to be that first person? So for me, you know, I guess we're going to look to the scriptures for guidance on that. You know, and, and Christ gave us a pretty good explanation of that. You know, render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars and the things unto God the things that are God's. So for me, I pay my taxes. I, I, follow, I follow laws um, until they come in conflict with, with, with the law of God or the commandments. If and when the government um, forces me or tr attempts to force me to do something that goes against my covenant or my belief system, that's where, that's where the line is drawn for me. So where that is for you, you'll have to decide. Um, but we don't, violence is not the key. We're not, that's not going to accomplish anything. There, is, there are a lot of um, false flags going on there. There are a lot of um, honey traps out there. There are a lot of um, organizations, three-letter organizations, that would just love for someone to, uh, to do something like that or to start something so that they could make an example of them and squash them. And, that, and that's not where it's at. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not about violence. I don't advocate violence. Our battle is a spiritual battle uh, as followers of the way. So that's it. We have to do, we have to render unto Caesars the things that are his. We have to follow laws. We also have to remember, this is a difficult one for me, that it is ultimately God that is in charge and he has put these people in these positions for reasons that we can't see. We now see, we see through a glass dimly. And you can find yourself, if you if you're fighting against this, you could find yourself fighting against God and his ultimate plan. You know, may, maybe it's his plan to put someone in a position uh, to be such, an, such a tremendous failure that it finally that's what it is, that, he, that, that it, that's what's required to wake people up and to get their attention so they're actually willing to get up and to do something. Who knows? You know, who, who knows the, the, the mysterious ways of God? But follow the law of the land. Do, do as you're supposed to until it comes in conflict with your faith system. That's, that's my line. Shout out to you. We have a super chat from Brandon Fisher. Shout out to you, Brandon. Brandon writes, Hey, Proho, as a young man in today's world, would you date a girl who was a good bit bigger, solidly obese, but not morbidly? If she has a sweet attitude, thought the world of you, and is a caretaker. You know, you can't account for taste. 
And if you like thick girls, big girls, that's not a problem for you, then I'm, I'm not going to say either way. We all have our preferences. And what's my preference and what your preference, let, let no man judge that. But also be aware that this can cause, this can be problems in the future. If someone has that tendency, you're most likely going to be looking at, at potential diabetes, um, potential prob health problems. Um, it could complicate and make it's more difficult with having a family, pregnancies and such. Just as long as you're aware of these things and you're willing to take on that risk, then you, you'll have to make that decision. Um, I would say yes. That, that, that's your personal call. But, but I don't know. It, I, I like to think, you know, you like to think, well, I can look past this because um, maybe I can influence her uh, to, to get on a, uh, to, to, I, can, I can help her to get on a healthier way of living, maybe change diet, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can do these things. And, and that would ultimately be your goal. If you could do that, then you have your cake and you eat it too. You know, that, that's the best thing. But I guess going into this, don't have those expectations. Some people just struggle with, with weight you know, their, their whole lives. It's just, it, it hasn't been a particular, it, it hasn't been a problem of mine. I've actually had just the opposite. I've had trouble putting weight on rather than that. So I guess the important thing is that if you go into this, just make sure that, yeah, you can be optimistic that it might change. You might be able to drop the weight, but don't plan on it. Because if you five, 10 years down the road and you find out that she's not only has she not lost the weight, but she's actually put more on and now she's morbidly obese, you, you, you can't be complaining about that. You signed up for it. Uh, you knew what you were getting into, and you have to just kind of resolve that. So don't punish her for something that you married that, that, that she's always struggled with or what she'll always be. Um, I guess that would be the important thing. But would it be better to be with a larger girl than to be alone if she was a good caretaker and she was a good mother and she doted on you and, and, um, and, she, and you loved one another? Of course. Of course it would be. Um, I, I wouldn't see a problem with that, but um, that's a personal choice. Me, me I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want that because I'm an active person, and I like to share activities um, with my mate. I want to be able to, to, to her to be able to participate. I, if we wanted to go on a hike or go, for, go to Europe and, and walk the streets of wherever, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to have to... Have, she has to stay home and, you know, we can't participate and she can't do things with me or she's too big to get on the back of my motorcycle. You know, that would be a problem for me because of my lifestyle. But if you're happy with that and, um, and you two can get along and you just realize that that may be the way it is and it might be worse, then you go for it. But I, I think if you're smart about it and, and did it in a loving way and kind of took charge of of how you buy groceries, you know, maybe she had never been taught. You know, maybe this is a generational curse. Maybe it was something that her mother struggled with and she just doesn't, there's a lot of ignorance out there with food and it's not necessarily people's fault. If you follow the government regulations and the government guidelines and the ridiculous food pyramid and all of the processed foods and everything that's being promoted to you as being reasonably healthy and food, healthy and safe, you know, it's, it's hard to eat healthy. It's expensive to eat healthy. Not only do a lot of people not have the means to do it, and they're forced to buy processed food because of the way it's so it's so much cheaper. That I mean, you just you get behind the eight ball there, and you, you just can't hardly get ahead because 
of the quality or the low quality of the food. It, it's designed to make you sick. It's designed to make you fat. And it's designed to make you uh, crave it and, and almost become addicted to it. You have to be very, very deliberate to eat healthy. And a lot of people just have never been shown that. And how could you know if your parents didn't teach you and you didn't, didn't know? Uh, so I would say accept it, deal with it, <laughs> you know, just understand it may never change, but maybe over the years you could start introducing healthier ways to cook, how to uh, properly meal plan, and that that could be, that could be a thing. Maybe you could even pick activities that would, where you could get out and spend time together by simply walking or, or doing things that would help. So do what you can, but um, it's a personal decision. I wouldn't blame you either way. I'd rather be with a thick girl than be alone if she was sweet, um, to be honest with you. But shout out to you, Brandon. We have a super chat from Gabriel Baker. Shout out to you, Gabriel. And Gabriel, Gabriel writes, uh, just did my first cold shower after getting home from work. Shout out to you. Congratulations. Every nerve ends feel like I got electrocuted. Next step is first thing in the morning. Yes. Now, I have done showers in the evening and uh, in the morning. And I found it to be better in the morning. That's the, really the good way to jumpstart your day, is to do that in the morning. What I found in the evening was I got such a massive burst of energy, like you said, like electricity sh shocking through your whole system, that I felt I was a little bit amped up to go to bed and had a little bit of trouble sleeping. So I tried to stay away from that evening shower. But that's what I would do. If you can do it in the morning, do it. But if you, if you can't make it or you get up late or you don't have time in the morning, do it. Just whatever. Even if it's later, do it. Do it every single day and get into a habit. And one thing that will, it'll get a lot better, I promise you. For me and from the people I've been talking to, anywhere from day three to day five, uh, it, the pain goes away and the shock goes away and you start to crave it and, to, and even to look forward to it and enjoy it a little bit. But stick with it. And also, remember, that's half of it. Do the shower and then go do the Wim Hof breathing method. Look up Wim Hof. He's got some videos for beginners. They're free. You can find them on YouTube and combine those two together. Th those two together are important. Do the shower first. Do the Wim Hof breathing method. Set aside 10-15 minutes for prayer. Right after that you'll be very clear, focused of mind, and drink. Also, something I, I keep forgetting to add, two quarts of water a day. Two quarts of water a day. And don't pound them all at once. Pounding them all at once you're just going to have to go to the bathroom. Your body can't absorb it. Get either a big two-liter bottle or two individuals is what I do. Two individual two-liter bottles or quarts, whatever you have. Fill them up, and that's your allotment. And you know that before you go to bed, you have to have those done. And drink it slowly through the day. You know, Chew your water and drink your food, as, I, as I'm fond of saying. Don't pound it all at once. And then if you do that... You're getting all the water that you need, and that's going to that's gonna purify your system. When you start doing this, the Wim Hof breathing method in combined with the shower, your body's going to start detoxifying. It's going to go into shock, and your immune system is going to be supercharged. And it's going to be, you need to, uh, you need to assist it with that water so you can pass all those toxins and, and all of that bad stuff. Uh, it'll help pass it through your body and get rid of it. So th those are the three things. The three-minute cold shower, the Wim Hof breathing method, and the two quarts of water a day. That, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'd recommend. We have a super chat from MDB831. Shout out to you. 
And thank you, a very generous super chat for you. Happy Sabbath from, the ha from a happy tradesman. Yeah, tradesmen are happy right now. Tradesmen are getting paid right now and making a good living. And finally, finally getting their due respect. I, I admire a tradesman with a skill I, way over uh, someone uh, working a, a blue collar job. I mean, it really, it, the tradesman's much more useful, much, much more useful, and the work is much more interesting. Yeah, happy Sabbath. So if you don't know, the Sabbath, I think, is important for us to keep. It's important for us to keep one day a week where we set it aside. God said he sanctified it, set it aside, and made it holy, and have that where you draw a line in the sand. Get, I don't care if you're single, family, whatever, and you say, we don't do any work on this. This is a day for us to enjoy each other. I'm not going to stress about things. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to work. I'm, I'm going to just set it aside. God told us that the seventh day, seventh day of the week is Saturday. If you wonder, if you doubt that, go look at your calendar. You'll see that it is. Sunday is the first day of the week, the seventh day. And it starts sunset Friday evening to sunset Saturday evening. It's a 24-hour period. And for us, that is a day that we look forward to. That starts tonight. Mrs. W., there's still work that has to be done. So what, what the good book tells us about the Sabbath, he said, is that he said, the Sabbath is made for man. He says, I set it aside. I sanctified it. This is, is for you. This is to be a blessing for you. Because, as I said, most of us, if we're on our grind, we're going to work seven days a week. And that will burn you out. It's bad for your health. It's bad for relationships. You end up missing your children growing up. If you take a day and set it aside, just... I can't tell you the relief when you wake up. Let's say you decide to keep the Sabbath tonight. You wake up in the morning. You, you and your wife and your family, you've talked about it. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll try it. Let's do this. When you wake up Saturday morning and you just want to sleep in a little bit or maybe you want to just lay on the couch and put a game on or whatever it is that you like to do, to be able to do that guilt-free, knowing that all of those pressing projects, all of those things that need to be done, all of the honey-do list you know, that gets dropped on you, that, that you're exempt from that, that you, you can have peace knowing that, no, we have made the decision, we're not doing it. This is a day for family, whatever that may be. You can sit guilt-free. Uh, your wife can enjoy her day without feeling like she's got to be manic and, and work, doing house cleaning and stuff. It's really a blessing. Also, make it a blessing for your children, too. Don't, don't um, make it a burden for them. Um, have something that they look forward to. Have a special meal. Or, you know, we don't have, we try not to have sweets and sugar in our house. We try to eat healthy as possible, but we're not going to be crazy about it. We're not going to, you know, make life miserable. So we'll have a dessert. You know, Mrs. W will buy a cake or a pie or make something or cookies or whatever that the kids have to look forward to. Special meals. And... So what we kind of do to get ready for it is um, usually we knock off work a little bit early, a couple hours early. Mrs. W. will pre-make pre meals a little bit or have some soups or things that are not going to take a lot of effort so that she's not just laboring all day long either. You know, there's things that are going to need, need to be done. The family needs to be fed, you know, etc. But she puts her work kind of ahead of time, has the house all clean by Friday so that when, when the Sabbath comes tonight, um, all day tomorrow that we can just enjoy one another. We don't have to do housework. We don't have to fix cars. We don't have to fix fences. We're not mowing lawns. It's a tremendous blessing. Um, it's, it, I, I would encourage you to do it. God gave it to us for a reason. It's not just an arbitrary test of obedience. It is a, 
it, it's, it, you'll be healthier and happier. You'll have stronger relationships. It's a great blessing. It's a great blessing. We have a super chat from Adrian Andre. Shout out to you, Adrian. And Adrian writes, I appreciate you very, very much, much. I've been battering, bettering myself ever since I discovered your channel. Thank you for inspiring uh, men like myself. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. You know, the, the modern generations was, would have us think that the old ways, that there was nothing, nothing of any value, that they were negative and, and they were uh, a bunch of Neanderthals running around and, and that we've now moved on. We have, we have enlightenment and our new way is the best way, all inclusive. Well, how come no one's happy? How come uh, countries are actually running out of um, uh, medicine for, to treat depression? Uh, it, it, everything, suicide rates, are, I mean, things are not better. Things are actually much, much worse. So we need to hold on to those old ways. Those old ways were given to us through God. A traditional family, that's, that's the best way to, go, to do it. That's, that's, where, that's where happiness is. And it's sad to see so many people deceived. You know, that statistic is just haunting to me that in eight years, by 2030, 50% of Western women are going to be barren and, and single with no families. And, you know, when a woman hits 30, 90% of her eggs are, are gone. She, she is, at 32, she's entering high-risk pregnancy. And how many women are putting off, this, putting off having families in the prime of their youth so that they can have a career for what? That career, that job that they had that was so important to them that, that their mothers, unfortunately, and grandmothers and society and everyone has pushed them into is going to be the, the most bitter regret that they've ever experienced in their life. When they hit 35, 36, and 40, and now they've missed the boat. No longer do they have the opportunity to have a family. No longer do they have the opportunity to, to acquire or to, to hook up with a, a quality man. No longer, I mean, can you imagine to wake up at 40 years old and look back and realize that you'd wasted and squandered everything and you've got what to look forward to? 40 years barren and alone. Can you imagine that? That's where the Karens are coming from. If you want to know why we're, why we're having so many Karens, why there's a Karen epidemic, it's because they hit that age and now they realize that they've missed the boat and they've got a long, long, long life ahead of them alone, full of bitterness, cats, and wine. It's sad. I don't like it. I mean, I don't, I don't revel in it. That's why I'm, trying to, I'm here trying to warn people. Happiness is family. Can you imagine the bitterness in a woman's craw that looks out, that has made this that missed this opportunity, that's 40, 45, bare and childless alone, when she looks upon another woman from her own age that's enjoying her family, her children, her grandchildren, gathered together for Christmases and, and, all, and all of the family events and graduations and all of the achievements and the joy that comes from our children and what they accomplish, to be sitting alone. Can you imagine the gall and the hatred that you would have and the resentment that you would have as you're watching this and you realize that the decision that you made and how you were lied to is a direct result of the predicament you find yourself in. That's where the army of Karens is going to come from. And the bad thing about it is they're going to be making policy. And that policy, they, 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 for some reason, they just do not have the ability to look inward. For some re reason, these, wo these women... These Karens, 
accountability is their kryptonite. They just cannot take any responsibility for it. And they blame men. And you see it all over social media. Where did all the good men go? It was always the bad guys. And, and they label every, you know, all men are just terrible. All men are not terrible. You didn't lower your standards. To, to, you didn't stay in your lane. You tried, to, you tried to reach for the stars. You tried to lock down Chad. And Chad was never going to have you. And that's all, all that you picked, these dating sites. And that's all. And you think that these bad guys, these players, you think that, that that's what all men are like. But all men are not like that. It's your own fault. I mean, we're all under, we're, we're, we're all under, have been propagandized. Um, but you have to look back and see that the decisions you made, how many opportunities did you have from 18 to 35? Uh, how many good men came into your life that you friend zone, that you, you looked down because they weren't tall enough, because they didn't have a six pack, because you didn't think they had a cool job or they had something you thought was beneath you? Opportunity, opportunity, 20 years, 20 years out there and opportunity after opportunity that you turned down, turned down, turned down and now you turned down one too many and now your opportunity is gone. It's not always, all of the attention and all the opportunities that you have right now are not always going to be there. They're going to evaporate. We have a new member, two new members, Wardo and Toolman57. Shout out to the two of you. Welcome. You coming down, Mama. Come on down. Come on. I'll make an exception on Fridays. Goodness. You know, we'll give an account to how we treat our animals. We have a responsibility to look after them. Yeah. Oh, goodness. That feels pretty good, doesn't it? Welcome. Welcome to our, for our new members. Dylan, good to see you, and new member. Dylan writes, do you think engineering is still a good option? I'm deciding between going to school for electric, electrician or electrical mechanical engineering. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, I think so. I, I would have enjoyed it. I, I just don't have the math for it. Uh, I've always had a soft spot for, uh, I think, um, electrical engineering would be interesting. Structural engineering would be interesting. Um, know this, though. I mean, just planning in the future, as things become more and more controlled, anytime a government agency controls your ability to make a living, and how they do this is by issuing certificates. Certificates are a way to control the educated. You want to practice law, you have to toe the line for the bar. You want to practice medicine, you know, you have to follow certain criteria, maintain a license, insurance, all that. You want to be an engineer, you can't just go do the schooling, pass the test. I mean, for, to get your stamp and to keep that maintained, you have to toe the line. And that can be revoked at any time. You don't get particular procedure, you don't get particular jab in certain situations. Well, you're no longer going to be able to be an engineer. We saw that with airline pilots right there. So know this, going into that field, as interesting and as fun as it might be, you're going to be subject to the man. You're, you might find yourself in a position where you are, if you want to continue to work, they're going to have those, those you're, you're going to be a puppet. You're going to be a puppet to maintain those certificates. That's why it's done and that's why it's kept that way. That's why people are pushed into these jobs and why being self-employed is always discouraged. I would, in, the, in this coming environment, I would be looking at a job where I could be whatever it was that I could be self-employed, uh, that I was not under the thumb or no one held this, any strings on me uh, that prevented me from making a living for my family. So 
that, I'm not saying that that's a deterrent. I'm, I, I'm not telling you not to do it. That, that's your decision. But just know, you know, we saw with airline pilots. Airline pilots was a very interesting testbed because airline pilots are, are, are typically, you know, they're, they're free-thinking men and women. You know, they're, 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 they're not, you know, they're a little bit more independent, a little bit more adventurous. And we saw a little bit of pushback with that. But even them, um, a lot of them took that and, and are suffering from that. So just know anytime you, anytime you get into that, those sorts of things, they are, you, you are not your, you have a master. You have, definitely have a master. But good luck, Dylan. Shout out to Brian M., a one-year member. Shout out to you. Brian says, 50-degree shower is different than mountain stream at just above freezing. Really looking forward to the first reaction from you. Yeah. I need to get down there and see. 50-degree 50 degree, 50 shower, that's, that's about what the water temperature is. What is the temperature down in the stream? We have on our northern property line, I have a half a mile of a glacial-fed river. And that means it, it comes from melted snow. <laughs> and the melted the snow is no more than, well, the glacier is no more than a few miles away. So it is exceedingly cold. I put my hand in it one time and it made my hand go to sleep. Uh, so I know it's cold. But is that a challenge? I think it would be easier <laughs> if it wasn't so cold outside. The idea of crawling in there right now with a foot of snow on the ground is a bit intimidating. I think... Um, on one of those um, summer mornings when it's 75 or so, this could be a little bit easier to dip in there. But I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. But I am training myself. So I, I don't think it's gonna be a, there's going to be a huge gulf between 50-degree shower water to, I don't know what it is down there, 40-something, maybe 38. It's, it's super, super cold. But we'll, uh, I'll, I'll film it for you. When I first do it, I will do it live. How about that? I'll make you the promise. We'll do it live, and you'll get to uh, – we'll be, get to – suffer together. We have a super chat from Evan Roach, a new member. Shout out to you, Evan. And Evan writes, hey, Cody, check out earthling mats for grounding your mattress. The pad goes under the sheets and lasts about two years, having seen amazing results. I'll look into that. What's it called? Earth grounding your mattress, huh? I don't know that you can be, can, does the grounding, is it effective through the cotton sheets? Because I'm not sleeping on it. I don't like to have anything synthetic. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I don't like that stuff. I'll, I'll look into it. There might be something to that. That the grounding tape, that, that, was a no, that was a no start. That was a no go for me. That did not work at all. We have a super chat from Mike Mack and new member. Welcome, Mike. Shout out to you, Mike. And Mike writes, one super chat closer to 100% member-funded content. It's good for us to be here. Yeah, and that's, that's what we'd like to do. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about this, and that, that is what I am um, imagining and envisioning, is we can get to the point where we can be completely independent and members only. That's going to change everything. That's going to that's gonna weed out the majority of the negativity, all of the trolling and such, because... These people are not going to subscribe to come over, uh, or very few of them will, and they'll be able, easy to manage. So we can get to the point where we will have our servers that will be secure. We can have everything independent. We can cut all the ties uh, from all of this big tech and such, and we can just have our own thing here, and we're going to have a lot more independence, and, and that's the goal. I mean, I, I'm in the same boat as well, just like we were talking about with the engineering. 
engineering, doctors, attorneys, airline pilots, you're all, we're all controlled. We're, we're all operating at the behest of other people and these people don't share our values. And it, it's a tenuous position, oh mama, at best. And so I'm working diligently and the middlemen behind the scenes to extricate ourselves uh, from, this, from this position. Shout out to you, welcome. Thank you for your generosity, Mike Mack. We have awesome sauce back in the super chats. Thank you, thank you for your generosity as well. He is 25, he says, I have a decent job fixing camera equipment. I would like to possibly get a job that will be more physical so I can start learning how to do more independent. Do you have any recommendations? I'm also colorblind. Fixing cameras to be more physical. You know, if you enjoy it, that's a really good skill to have. Um, and there's not a lot of people that can do that. I, I know because I have broken so many cameras and I, I know how difficult it is and I have to send things out. So I, I would not discourage you from, I, I'd say try to stay in that if you can, just to get more physical stuff. I, I guess, boy, it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to answer these questions without knowing your situation and, and where you're at. Fixing camera equipment. I guess if you could do this, do you have to have a storefront to do that? Or are you, are people mailing it to you? That would be important. If you're in a position where people mail stuff to you and you've got a website and you're doing repairs that way and you don't have a brick and mortar shop, then you can do lots of different things. You can go to work and have a second job. You know, what I always tell, um, what I always tell young people, what, one thing that's a, re a really good thing to do is if you can work, if you can go to work on any sort of a farm or a ranch or become a, um, there's a, um, what is the name for the, the folks that volunteer uh, at these restaurants? Huffers? <laughs> Woofers? Is it woofing? Woofers? Woofers? Uh, the best way to get, if you need to get uh, a lot of skills fast, you need to learn a, lot, a, a, a little about a lot of things, Working on any sort of a farm or ranch or agriculture type of place is really, really good because that gives you, that puts you in a position where you're going to have to do a little bit of everything. You're going to learn how to work on equipment. You're going to learn how to drive heavy equipment. You're going to work, you're going to use hand tools. You're going to be building fence. You're going to be repairing stuff. I mean, a farmer or a rancher or even in the logging industry like that, there is just so much going on. And so many things, you have to be so versatile that you'll just pick up a tremendous skill set like crazy. Those opportunities, how do you go about them? One of the best I've ever seen and would be a place to start, it's highly competitive, but Joe, oh goodness, mama, you've got the cat fur. Oh, are you going to be that demanding, huh? Joe Salatin. Polyface Farms, and I think there's other ranch, there's other places like this. They have, oh goodness, internships. They're highly competitive, but if you go to his website, if you go to Joe Salatin, Polyface Farms, and this will kind of get you at least pointed in the right direction to see what's going on, what's available. Maybe it might be something that you could work in with your current business, but that would be a tremendous um, opportunity uh, if you could get into something like that. He brings in young people, and I don't know if they do one year or two years, but all your housing and everything is all covered. Uh, it's all provided for you. You just work in an active farm like that, and you're going to learn so much. You're going to learn how to, how to grow food. You're going to learn animal husbandry. 
you're going to learn heavy equipment, maintenance, how to drive farm equipment. I mean, I just can't think of a place where a guy would learn more things than something like that. And I would imagine once you kind of go down that rabbit hole and, you know, I've met him personally. I know about his program. I've met people that have went through it and it's a tremendous program. It's highly, highly competitive, but once you kind of start looking around there and get plugged into that system and start asking around, you'll see that there will be other opportunities as well. So maybe something like that. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know where, where else to send you. It's hard, it's hard to answer these questions and to advise folks when I don't, know, I don't know your situation. We have a super chat, or new member, two new members, Awesome Sauce and Dominic Z. Shout out to you, to you two. Welcome, welcome. You get to enjoy your new member's badge. You get... Overton's 940. The official knife. Oh, goodness, I hope, I hope, I hope I have it in my pocket. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I, got, I got caught slipping. I didn't even bring it. It's in, my, it's in my EDC drawer. Well, you can see what it looks like. It's right next to your name right now. Welcome. Welcome and shout out to you guys. We have a super chat from C. Smith. Shout out to you, C. Smith, and thank you for your generosity. Who writes, I only have a 16-inch refurb Husqvarna chainsaw. It still runs strong but I broke, I broke down and bought some firewood this year. Am I still a man? If it helps, I grew up west of Mississippi and Minnesota. Yeah, you are, it, you are definitely still a man. You know, it takes time to learn how much you're going to need. You know, I've had to do that before, and I asked myself the same question. I was a little bit sheepish. It was one of the worst days of my life. When we moved into the last homestead, Mrs. W and I, it was just amazing that we actually got it. You know, we, we had nothing and we thought we'd lost it. We were trying to buy it and it all fell through and we were just crestfallen. And by some miracles, the Almighty showed mercy on us and it all came together. But the bad thing is, is we, we came in late, uh, late in the season when winter was coming in. When I moved my family into that house, there was no wood stove, uh, there was no heat, uh, the house had frozen and split majority of the plumbing. And the plumbing that wasn't split from being frozen was uh, improperly put in there uh, and corroded. And it was so thin that when I started tearing out walls, I put my pocket knife into some of the copper and it just went right through it because of electrolysis and using the wrong, you know, connecting to the wrong unsimilar metals, you know, all the stuff that happens. We turned that water on and I was so sad that it just started raining down through the ceiling because of all of the all of the frozen pipes and all of that and we had no firewood no nothing so we had all had all this firewood on the land and, and i was super geeked to go get it but it was all green and so it didn't do me any good and i had to order four cords and have another man bring firewood up to me i was so disappointed <laughs> i think i even hit it uh, from my youtube channel i was like oh this is just terrible but what that did is that made a very strong impression upon me and i vowed uh, that that would never ever happen again um, and i saw to it that we had plenty of firewood the next year so that's it just that happens sometimes if you're new to it or you don't really know if you're transitioning to, from electric heat or gas and you want to start you know, heating your house with your own wood it takes a while to figure out. You always think you know how much it's going to take, but it's never enough. A good rule of thumb is estimate how much firewood you're going to burn and then double it. Because what happens is you get yourself about into the end of February and you're starting to run out and you're thinking, oh, I thought maybe we wouldn't need wood by this time, but you're going to be burning wood. What people don't realize, usually you're going to be burning wood almost into June, especially if you live up in the mountains. And so it takes... You have to figure what you need and then double it. But as a rule of thumb, 
If you have an old house that's not super, super efficient and firewood is your primary wood and you might be running maybe like a, a double barrel stove out in the shop, you know, once in a while to keep warm when you're working, 10 cord, <clears throat> 10 cord is, a, is the rule of thumb. That's what you're going to need. And 10 cord is four, eight, excuse me, 10 cord is 10 uh, pickup loads and that's stacked tight, not thrown in a pile, but stacked tight. A cord is four foot by four foot by eight feet. And it's tightly, it's tightly stacked. So don't feel bad about it. Just realize what you're going to need and don't make that mistake next year. And firewood, you should be do your firewood in the spring. A lot of people wait to do their firewood in the fall. I never understood that. They're like, oh, it's getting cold. We need to go get our firewood. If you do that, it doesn't have enough time to seize it. And then you end up having to burn more firewood and it doesn't heat very good because it's got so much moisture in it. Firewood for the following year needs to be done in the spring. I have my firewood down on the ground under two feet of snow right now for next year. And that's fine. Once the snow melts, it'll have all summer. We'll get it up in our rounds to get all summer to dry and then we'll bring it in or cover it uh, at fall. It'll have a full summer to dry out. So just don't feel bad. You're definitely not less of a man. That's happened to me. It's happened to a lot of people. We have to supplement sometimes. We're learning. We're all learning together. But be ready. Have your saw ready. A couple extra chains. Get ready to hit it hard as soon as the, the snow comes down or goes up and gets away where you can get up in the woods and start cutting. Up here, I don't know where you live, and maybe this, people don't know how it works up here, but if you live up in the mountains next to a national forest like we do, you can, the king will let you cut in his forest, but you have to buy a permit. It's not very expensive. It's like five or ten bucks per load. They'll give you a permit, and you can go up in there, and they'll designate certain areas where you can cut. What a lot of us do, uh, especially a lot of the older guys and the retired loggers around here, firewood is currency uh, up here for sure because it, it is the primary source of heat for so many people, is that during the winter, a lot of the, there are a lot of windfalls, a lot of trees that come down across the roads. And there's kind of a handshake agreement uh, with the Forest Service uh, with a lot of these guys that um, if a fir that's a big, even if it's big old growth, if it goes across the road, that it's kind of understood that the guys have permission to go up there and to cut it. And it does, it works for everyone. It helps the Forest Service to get, to keep the roads cleared. Uh, it provides firewood for the local community and it's just kind of a win-win for everybody. So a lot of guys get firewood that way. So if you're, if you live in that type of environment where you have access to a national forest where there's a, a lot of resources, um, be up there early and take advantage of that because the wind will blow down a lot of these trees. There's a tremendous amount up there. You just have to go up there and start driving the roads and, and wait for the snow to melt and you'll have um, a lot, a lot to pick from, but it's a pretty good system. We have a super chat from Nathan James. Shout out to you, Nathan. And Nathan says, sir, would you mind doing a YouTube short on the Sabbath so I can, sh I can share with my work crew and family to highlight the importance of this day? You want a short or, or I could do, we could do a regular video. And what do you want? Do you, want to, uh, do you need to argue the case? This is a, this is a hard thing. Uh, the re realization of the Sabbath is a hard thing for a lot of traditional Christians who have grown up in Sunday churches. I met, I've met um, more resistance on this topic than anything else I've ever come across. They just can't, they just can't accept it. The truth of the matter is, is that they'll say, they'll, they'll point to uh, some, they'll, they'll take 
in my opinion, out of context in the New Testament, um, a very flimsy uh, bit, a couple scriptures, the Lord's Day in, in different examples. Um, and, then, and then the day was changed. You know, Jesus changed the, the day and such. That's, that's not the way I see it. That's not the truth. We have 10 commandments that were given. God says, I changeth not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not talking, well, let's not confuse the Ten Commandments with the law of Moses. Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, we know the story that when God led the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage, out of Egypt, into the Sinai Peninsula, sent Moses up, God wrote with his very own fingers, with the hand of God, wrote on the tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. These are immutable, unchangeable. The fourth commandment says is the only one that starts with remember. Remember the Sabbath. Why is that the only one of the ten that starts with the word remember? Because God in his infinite wisdom knew that that was going to be a problem in the future. That someone was going to be changing that. Well, who changed it? How did we go from worshiping on the true Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, as God commanded in the fourth commandment, to the Sunday worship. Well, the Catholic Church changed it. And if you, you can go to their catechism, and they, they don't deny it, they're actually proud of it. They say, they, and they have the, when the question is asked, uh, they state that yes, we changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, and that is a mark of our authority. To change days and times. They, they don't hide behind it. Yeah, of course, of course it was. And they even laugh and mock Protestants um, that they follow along. Like, how, you know, that, that's something that we did. Why are you following along on this? This is, this is, a, this is something that came from Catholicism. It is a more, according to them, that's a mark of their authority. You know, if God changed the fourth commandment, you know, and we're no longer bound by that, you know, are, are, we not, are we no longer bound by the other ones? Should, you know, shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, etc., etc. Right? It's very important. And the fact that it starts with the word remember is really key. And there's a lot of people waking up to this and waking up to the, the importance of this, uh, of keeping the Sabbath. It's important. It matters. It makes a difference. The day that we worship on matters. God said he set it aside, he sanctified it, and made it holy. There's a special blessing for God's people, for people that follow the way, that pray to him, and show respect to him by keeping his commandments. You know, he said, the gospel, as I'm so fond of saying, boils down to, to really two things. You could strip out all of the nonsense and, and all the Western churches and all of this, of how man has complicated things. When a man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? How did he answer him? He says, it's simple. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we chase that down and look at it, okay, what does it mean to love God? He tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what are his commandments? Those are the Ten Commandments. So keeping the Sabbath is very important. I don't believe it was changed, and I think we're on dangerous ground if we did it. Now, are people that kept the, the Sunday Sabbath, are they going to be lost? Is that a salvation issue? I don't think so. You know, God said, in your ignorance, I winked. That means I, I, I looked past it because... You didn't know you were in error. <clears throat> but I'm sad to say the fact that I am here exp uh, exposing this truth or making you aware of something that you have maybe not considered or known about, you no longer have that excuse. 
uh, that excuse of ignorance. You're, you have the responsibility now of looking into it yourself. You've been warned and you need to make that decision. That's going to be a very pivotal decision in the future. Who's going to follow? Who's going to, who loves God? Those who keep his commandments. So how do we keep, how, how, do, we, how do we make it to the kingdom? What, what is it that's required of us? That, what are the two things that he said? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and you'll carry one another's burdens. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself, as I'm so fond of saying, is not manufacturing a fake feeling for someone that you hate. Maybe your neighbor is a despicable person. What it means, and the best way I've heard it translated, is carry one another's burdens. Love God. Do your best to keep his commandments. When you fall short, we have an advocate, which is Jesus, that, that he led a perfect life that he impugns upon us when we fall down. But it's not for us to, to maintain in sin. When we know something is wrong and we continue to do it, that's when we're on dangerous ground. Repentance is a very simple. To Repentance is simply a turning away. God says he wants us to repent from our sins. People think that I need to, for the rest of my life, I just need to be down with my face in the dirt and, and, and whining and, and apologizing for my past and everything that I've done. No, you do that one time. You do that one time, and true repentance is, is just turning away from it. It's, it's doing a 180. To repent of your sin is to stop doing it. Simple as that. To repent of your sin of pornography is not to beat yourself up for the rest of your life. It's to acknowledge you're on the wrong path, to ask your, your father for forgiveness, and to turn away from it, to do a 180 and to walk away from that, and to seek his help and protection uh, and strength to, to overcome it in those times of temptation. You know, it's just one, one example. I use that example because a lot of, a lot of folks str struggle with that. But that's what repentance is. The gospel is very simple. Love God by keeping his commandments. Repent. Turn away from your wicked ways. Turn away from the, from the things that, that have been at enmity with God and to love your neighbor as yourself or to carry one another's burdens. If you had that knowledge, that's all you need. If you adhere to it, that's really all you need. It's not difficult. Let's not say it's not difficult. It's not complicated. We have a super chat from Dan, the vintage RVer. Shout out to you, Dan. Dan sounds like an inter interesting guy, I can tell. He says, double chi to you, to life, my dear friend. Glad to have found you and be able to listen to your experiences. I agree. I agree. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. I really appreciate that. Very generous of you. Shout out to Dan, the vintage RVer. You know one of the coolest vintage RVs of all time that I've always liked? Dan, Dan probably knows all about this. GMC made a motorhome for a few years, and it is a super skookum unit. It was built like an automobile instead of like really crappy. <laughs> you know? uh, and I, I remember uh, my neighbor, my, the neighbor of my granddad's had, had one. It was almost new, and I were going by that, it was so, such a cool machine. There must be, they must be really well built because I still see a few of them around. If you ever go, go look it up, look up the GMC motorhome. It, it's like a, it's like an, they were brown and orange. I think they came from the factory. Of course, the 80s colors. Uh, but man, they were super, super nice. It'd be nice if, if um, Ford or like a modern car manufacturer would, could produce like a, an F-Series that had an integrated, like a camper unit on it that wasn't just terrible and garbage like everything is that was like factory quality and 
all tied in together with like a, you know, a furnace system that ran off the diesel heater. I mean, tell me those things wouldn't sell like crazy. I, I would, I would absolutely scoop one of those things up. Thank you, Dan. We have a super chat from Kent Martin. Shout out to you, Kent. Thank you for your generosity. Kent writes, greetings from the East Coast. I'm already skeptical here. I don't know what to expect. Any advice and practical uh, teaching? Would love to hear a few videos dedicated towards preparing the homestead for economic collapse. Well, the thing, it's the same thing that we've been talking about. You got to look at the three most important things, you know, the three pillars of survival. First off is you need protection from exposure. You can only survive if it's cold. You know, you can't survive a night without protection from exposure. So that needs to be dealt with, whatever that is. Is it a wall tent with a wood stove? Is it your house? Um, and how do you keep the house from freezing? How do you keep pipes from freezing? All that stuff. You know, so you need to have an independent way of heating your place. So having a wood stove is critical. Having a wood stove and a proper supply of wood, or it could be a pellet stove, could be even a, a gas wood stove, and you've got two 3,000-gallon uh, tanks, you know, that sort of thing. So that's what a guy needs to be looking at. How are you going to deal with that? Once that's dealt with, what is your water supply? Are you require, is your water coming from a municipal supply that could be turned off, that could be contaminated, uh, that could just, you turn on the faucet and it doesn't come out anymore. What are you going to do? You know, that, that's desperate. You've got three days to deal with that before you are, are in dire need. You can only survive three days without water. So you need to have that problem dealt with. Exposure, number one. Water supply, number two. And what's the third one? Food. Food. So do you have the ability to garden? Or do you live in an area that, that will support that? Do you have the tools that you need? Do you have the fencing? Do you live in a place where even if you got your garden in, the deer or the rabbits or the critters would come in and decimate it at night while you were sleeping? You know, these are all, all need to be considerations. How many people have bought seed vaults? And their plan is, oh, when times get tough, I'm just going to go down in the basement and I'm going to get my seed vault and I'm going to dig a hole in the ground. I'm going to put the seeds in and we're going to have an abundant crop. It doesn't work that way. What if you can't water the seeds? What if, what if you don't have the ability to irrigate? And how are you going to survive the year or two or three it takes to get up to speed where you can actually learn how to produce? You know, this doesn't happen overnight. This, this needs to be put in place now. So food supply is very important. The best way to do it, the minimum ProHo should have is a three-month supply for your family. And the best and most cost-effective way to do it is with the freeze-dried food. It's already in the buckets. It's already done for you. Is it going to be the most tasty? No. But you'll be able to supplement it with other things. You know, maybe you can trade for a cow. Maybe you live in an area where you can go out and get game, that sort of thing. You'll be able to get going. But you want to have a minimum of three-month supply for that at minimum, right? And that's that's coming from, from the understanding that the system that you require for food and water and energy is going to be back up and running. But if you're looking at it, that once it's gone, it's gone, then three months is not going to work, then you need a year, at least a minimum of a year per person. You, that will carry you through. That will give you one year of a grace period where you can get things in place. Do you have fencing? Do you have fence posts? Do you have a fence post digger? Do you have the ability to, to irrigate? How are you going to get the water? Oh, you've got a well? Well, do you know what sits at the bottom of that well? A great big pump 
that requires about 40, 50 amps of power and 240 volts. And some of those things are 800, 1200 feet deep with a six inch or eight inch casing. You're not gonna get water out of that. So I would move heaven and earth to have that water supply established. How do you deal with that? Well, a hand pump, a hand pump, like a simple pump. So sacrifices are gonna be, need to be made. If you're, if you're in a situation where you don't have a water supply that you're relying on someone else, that's very, very precarious because that water is not only gonna be needed for, for hygiene and drinking, but if you live in a warm climate where it's hot, you're gonna to have to have it for irrigation. So that's really where it's at. I mean, the resources are out there. The videos are out there, everything's been done. You know, everyone's been, be been doing these homesteading videos for a decade now. It's hard to add anything that hasn't already been added. You know what you need to do. So me doing another video is not gonna really be adding. It's just gonna be a little bit more noise in an already noisy choir. You know what you need to do. You just need to make, take, put those things in place. That's why it's so difficult to, to properly prep in an urban environment because you're not going to be able to have a well. You're going to be reliant upon municipal. There, it's going to be difficult to have a wood stove. They're being outlawed more and more and more places. And, and you know, there's, there's just a lot that goes into it. That's why I've been preaching for years and years why God, when he moved upon our hearts, heart to get out of the cities. We were never intended to live that way. It is going to turn into a nightmare. Once people start going without, it's going, to be, it's going to be Mad Max in those cities. And you want to be out of them, away from them, far, farther, far enough away from any major interstate or highway where people can't reach you by foot as well. We are in a very good position here. We chose the geography um, very carefully. We have an unlimited supply of wood through the forest. We have an unlimited supply of water through irrigation, for irrigation and for drinking. We have an off-grid well. We have off-grid power sources, et cetera, et cetera. We have greenhouse, the garden, everything in place. Are we living off-grid? No. Are we, do, are we producing all of our own food here? No. But that's what we're moving towards. And if push comes to shove, we could. So that's kind of, it's important. It's important to get out of, out of the cities. It really, really is. Do what you have to do. Sacrifice, make the decision, whatever you have to do, get out of the cities. The sooner the better. We have a super chat from Jason, Jason, Jacob, excuse me, Jace, Jake. Public school rears its ugly head. Jacob Gibson, shout out to you, Jacob. Jacob writes, do you own or have uh, you, your thoughts about building a wood gasifier? Also stay safe from the Nephilim agenda. Yeah, oh goodness, isn't that true? No, I, I've ne never done a gasifier. I, I, I have a basic understanding of the concept. What he's talking about is, I, I, I saw a guy that took, had an old, like a 1970 pickup, two-wheel drive. He had a complete gasifier uh, in the back of the bed. And he would feed it with fuel, and the, the unburnt smoke ran into the, a carburetor that he had modified. It was actually driving the truck around, had the ability to, to do that. So what it is, it's a process of um, heating up fuel. For us, it would be wood, but not kind of a, a slow burn or an incomplete burn that turns it to smoke. And in that smoke is a lot of fuel. When you see smoke coming out of a wood stove or a chimney, that's because it's not operating very efficiently. Either it's, the fire has just been started and the combustion hasn't really got up to speed and, and is really cooking, uh, or you're burning wet fuel. Or in the case of wood gasification, this is, in, this is intended to have a partial burn 
So all of that energy and everything in the, in the smoke is redirected through a, a pipe and you can pump it into an engine and you can run generators with it. Any, anything that runs off of gasoline, any, any internal combustion engine can run off of wood gasification. Now it's fussy. Um, you have to be a real hands-on guy to do it. That has to be kind of your thing. You have to like be geeking out on that sort of thing to make it happen because it's, everything's a one-off. This is not like something that I'm aware of that you can go buy at a level that would be affordable. So you have to build your own. They're all kind of one-off. So I have not done it. I have not done it. I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. I'm hoping that one of the guys in the valley here <laughs> can, uh, can help us with it. But I just, I, I have not. I'm, I'm aware of it. We have a super chat from Terrestrial Trajectory. Shout out to you. He says, Wrangler Star is the righteous top G. Oh, the righteous top G. Been loving the content lately. Young men need to listen to you, uh, but not Tate. Yeah, poor, poor Tate. Can you imagine? I was just thinking about him. I've been in jail before, and I know how terrible it is. And that was, uh, that was a, a, a nice American jail. Um, can you imagine going from being the top G with uh, Bugattis and private jets and Dubai and you know all, that whole lifestyle to being crowded into a, an Eastern European cell with 10, 12 dudes in there uh, sharing, a, uh, sharing a toilet? Pretty rough. I imagine he's reevaluating a lot of things in his life right now as he sits, him and his brother sits in jail. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the, that's the most dangerous. That's the most dangerous type of guy is, a, is the man or woman or, or preacher or teacher is, is the person that mixes a little bit of truth with folly. That's the that's see, the devil doesn't come at us with um, with something that's completely contrary to our belief system. If he were to do that, it would be so obvious to us that we would immediately reject it. But the clever way of doing it is, um, you know, the, the old analogy is so perfect. If someone sits a glass, a drinking glass in front of you, and it's uh, green, and there's a vapor coming off of it, and, and there's a label on it that says poison, and offers you a refreshing, zesty drink, and you see that smoking green brew, are you likely to, to take a draft of that? Absolutely not. You're going to reject it immediately. It's so different than what you know to be healthy and normal. You're, you're not going to pay any attention to it. But let him take that same glass of water and just put a small drop of poison in it. It's mostly good, but just a small drop of poison in it. So it's imperceptible or nearly imperceptible from the genuine pure water. And then you'll gladly take it in and drink it. And it's just as deadly as the green vap vaporous brew, correct? Well, that's the way a lot of these grifters and charlatans and, and demonic forces, they come at us, is that they'll mix a little bit of truth with a little bit of a lie, just enough to make it palatable. And when you hear, when, you, when he taps into a big problem of society, which is the problems that our young men are having and with dating and, and Western women and such, when you're sympathetic to that and you, are, you, can, you can get, you, you can sympathize with them and, and you know, make, bring up points that, that they can resonate with, then, then you get their attention. 
and, and, and they start to follow and they start to believe in you and they, start, and they start to trust a man like that. But then you have to look at the whole picture. You know, you'll know a man by his fruits. You know, what is he doing? How, how did he make his fortune? How, how did he get to where he's at? We did it by exploiting the very men that he's claiming to be trying to pull out of the mud. Here he is trying to, saying he's, he's for the young man and, and about reestablishing masculinity and, and, and helping guys to, to get themselves out of the mud. And yet on the back, he's, he's running uh, cam girls, which are extorting money and taking advantage of these desperate men. You know, it's the worst type of person. To, to, because he's not honest. He, he's, he's a deceiver. He's being deceitful. He's preying upon a problem um, and profiting from it at the same time. He's a double agent, essentially what he is. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of young men that have bought, you know, that have bought into that, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not the way. We have a super chat from Ulrich Gates and two-year member. Shout out to you. Good to see you here. Don't major in the minors. It's an issue that will keep you from spending eternity with the Father. Yeah, the minors. And the minors, the important things are simple. Love God by keeping His commandments. Help carry one another's burdens. Make honesty the best policy and live by the golden rule. Right there is all you need. All of the difficulties and, and the labors and, and all of the rules and, and everything... You know, so many pe preachers and, and churches and organizations are teaching as doctrine the, command, the, uh, the, the ideas of men. You know, when, G when Jesus came, you know, he, he was really frustrated. What a burden the, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish leadership had put upon the people. <clears throat> All of these rules and regulations and on the Sabbath day you could, you could do this, but you couldn't do that. You could only walk so far. And it just became a burden to everyone. It was, just, it was almost impossible to follow all the rules. And they never took any away. And, and every time you know, you know, a, a new crop would come through seminary, they needed to put their stamp of authority on it. So they added more and added more and added more. And then you get to the point where religion, instead of being something that brings you freedom and delivers you from the bondage of sin and, and this world, becomes even worse. And he came to sweep all of that away. And, we, and the Western church has done that by and large as, as well. Get back to the fundamentals. It's simple. It's simple, gentlemen. Just follow those simple rules. Love God and carry one another's burdens. I mean, re really, there's more to it than that. Of course, the Bible alone is, is a lifetime of study, and you won't even scratch the surface on it. But if you started right there, uh, you would be in a safe, safe, safe spot. And that's where, where it begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Start with that. The fear of the Lord is not to be scared stiff of Him but to have a healthy respect of him, just like you would with the ocean. You go out and surf in the ocean. It's dangerous. It could crush you in a moment. You wouldn't even stand a chance, but yet you still go out there. It's not, you go out there because you're not frightened of it, but you do respect it. And, and that's what the fear of the Lord is. If you think God is scary, then look what happened. You know, Jesus, two times he went into the temple and... and threw out all of the money changers, turned over the table, tables, made a cord with uh, a whip and whipped all of the, I mean, just absolutely turned the place, cleaned that clock. Those, there were soldiers in there, there were guards, there were money changers, all, all sorts of, I mean, just a huge group of men. They ran fleeing for their, their life. He was so terrifying in his righteous indignation. But the amazing thing was when they finally 
got the courage to come back, skulking back, what did they see? They saw Jesus sitting there in the midst, surrounded by little children. The little children weren't afraid of him. And yet here he is, here he is God, and had the power that, to frighten all these men away. They went running for their lives, and yet the children didn't, didn't, weren't afraid of him. Because the children were pure. Fascinating. Tiago, welcome. New member. Shout out to you. Good to have you here. We have another super chat from Terrestrial Trajectory. Shout out to you, Terrestrial, who writes, I do have a question. Is Arian Christianity blasphemy since it's not canon to the rest of modern Christianity at this point? If you're talking about, the, are you talking about Arianism, um, Arian Christianity being keep it, uh, the white race? Yeah, there, there's no place for that. The body of Christ is, uh, Jesus tells us, whosoever will may come. This idea of, of keeping uh, one race pure or th they have a particular special example or, or benefit over another, that's, uh, that's nonsense. I don't believe any of that. Any person, um, black, Asian, Korean, white, what, whatever, whosoever will come. God is no respecter of persons whatsoever. Um, that, I, I can't get with that. That's foolishness. We have a super chat from Jarhead Heathen. <laughs> Shout out to you, Jarhead. And he says, I've watched you for a while, and I have been back and forth about God for years, but I want to move forward with my faith. Any advice? And thank you. It's simple. You know, what I would do is I would go read the story of the prodigal son. That's the, that's the most encouraging thing to me. Because what that does is, th that story is very deep. In, and it's, it's a parable. And the, the father is, is representing God. And the wayward son is, is, the, was, is the one that had left his father. And the difficulty of returning back. And man will teach you, and a lot of churches will teach you, if you've left, or you, even if you've never really known him, that you have to follow all of these rules, and you have to sit through all these classes, and you have to do all of these things until you have to get yourself cleaned up and you have to correct all of your sin and all of the things you've done in the past before you can enter into the presence of God. But that's not what he tells us, is it? And that's not what he teaches. That story is very important to an unrepentant sinner or a repentant sinner uh, in that that tells us a lot about the character of God. When we're reading these stories, gentlemen, look deeper and ask, always ask this question, when you're going through the scriptures, ask yourself this question. What does this tell us? What does this story tell us about the character of God? We want to know who he is. Is he, is he kind? Is he benevolent? Or is he uh, tyrannical and, and, and fearful and unjust and unfair and arbitrary? That story is so important because as the son was a far way off, hadn't made his way back, hadn't even had the opportunity to apologize for what he had done. Had his whole thing all reserved, was ready to go. And the, and the good book tells us that his father saw him a long way off. Why did he see him a long way off? He saw him a long way off because he'd been looking for him for years. Every day, climbed up on the hill, looked at the road. There's my son coming home. Now he's not coming home. and back down. Every day, looking and looking. And the moment he saw him, he said he saw him a long way off. Did he wait for him to come so that he could let his son grovel and fall on the ground and give his, give his apologies and, and, and eat crow? Did he do that? Because he went well within his right. 
you know, well within his right. His son had taken his inheritance and squandered it with prostitutes and drugs and alcohol, who knows what. Probably wrecked his health, riddled with venereal diseases, brought shame and reproach upon his father, soiled his good name. I mean, terrible. But his father saw him a long way off, and what did his father do? He ran to him. Forsake everything, ran to him, and fell, they fell upon each other. My son, my son, my son, my son. Wouldn't even let his son utter the words. Wouldn't even let him speak his apology. Cut him off immediately. Said, no, no, I don't care about any of that. None of that matters. None of what you did matter. He said, snapped his finger, bring the finest robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. What's the significance of that ring? That would have been a signet ring. A signet ring would have had a unique crest in it that would have, could have been pressed. You've seen the old wax seals. A, a, a monarch or an important person would have an, a unique ring. It would have been pressed in to seal an envelope, and that was to be broken. That was, that was a guarantee. That was, that, was a, like a, 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 that was a family credit card. That boy could have taken that ring into town and signed for anything, meals, clothing, food, whatever. His, his father stood as a guarantor of that. He didn't make him do anything. He didn't make him... Repent. He didn't make him bow and scrape. He didn't make him prove himself. Immediately put the finest robe on him, put a ring on his finger, reestablish him as my son and heir to my promise. Immediately. That's who your father is. That's who God is. That is the character of God right there. So all you have to do, it doesn't matter what your past has been done. The fact that you are feeling remorseful, the fact that you're feeling the call to him, tells you that you're closer to God than, than a lot of so-called Christians are that have been sitting in pews for 50 years. All you've got to do is get on your knees tonight and just ask Him for help. I've been going down the wrong path. I didn't really know. I want to know the truth. I don't understand all of this. I don't even know if you're real. But if you are, I'm willing to try. Help me to turn from my evil ways. Help me to, to repent, to turn away from the things that I've done in the past pornography, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, lying, being unreliable, having a temper, all these things, all these things that you've struggled with that you've never been able to get mastery over. Take them to him. Lay them down. Ask him to bring to your attention. Put in, put in my mind's eye anything that I've done that's an offense to you and come clean with it. Just have it all out. Have it all out right there and repent and ask for help and see what happens. That's where you start. Pick up his book. Ask him, I've even had, I didn't know where to go in times past, I've even asked and prayed for, for God to bring a, a, another man into my life that could counsel me, that could advise me. Such a beautiful, one of my favorite stories is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. There was an Ethiopian eunuch that was a, an important man, a cabinet member from, from the leadership in, of Africa that was a devout man. And he had heard about the God of the Jews, and he was, made the effort, took leave from, from his countrymen and, and his, his uh, employer and made the pilgrimage to, for, for the festivals with, with the Jews. And, and knew, just he didn't have any information, didn't really know, but he felt the calling of God. He felt he understood that this is that Yahweh is, that was the true God. The God of the Hebrews was the real God. He made the pilgrimage participated in everything, did the best he could. You can imagine as an Ethiopian, he wasn't allowed into the, 
uh, intermix with, with the, um, or e probably even to participate in the sacrifices, but hung around on the fringes and it, it was all he could do. But he knew truth. He just didn't know what to do. And so after this, the good book tells us he's on his way back and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, I believe. He was wealthy enough to have a scroll. That would have been, you'd have to be very wealthy to have owned a scroll that had, they would have all been hand copied. But he's reading this and, and trying to understand, but, but doesn't. And I, I don't have a scripture for this, but I would imagine that he prayed for this. He prayed for insight. And God heard his prayer and brought one of the apostles to him through a miracle. And he approached the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot and said, what is it you're reading? Do you, do you understand what you're reading? And what does he say? How can I understand unless I have a man to show me? Well, I think, was it Philip? Got in with him and laid out the scriptures and how they pointed to the coming of Christ and just broke it all down for him. I would have loved to have been in that chariot to hear that firsthand. And after being educated by this man sent from God and realizing what needed to take place and how important it was to make the commitment through baptism, they said they came upon a body of water and the Ethiopian eunuch said, what prevents me from being baptized? And what was told him? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, I do. And they went down and he was baptized. And he said he went back home to his country rejoicing. And can you imagine what that one experience, that one man, how it changed when he went back home and, and shared the gospel with that, in that heathen land? It's an incredible story, right? But he was in ignorance and, and, and God sent a man to him uh, to explain to him and to help him. And God has done that to me, and, and I would pray for that. That would be, that would be something that I would want. B bring someone into my life that can help me to understand, um, to show me the way, uh, that, can, we can, that can encourage me. Um, I think that's important, and, and I would do that. And just be here. Be here. If you don't have anyone, if you don't know anyone, we'll be here Monday through Friday at noon, and you could, we can draw encouragement from one another and, and learn from each other. But I will pray for you. I will pray for you. And take your cold showers. I know if you're a jarhead, you're tough enough to get into a cold shower. Shout out to you. Good luck. We have a super chat from Nas. He says, are Texans West Coast man or East Coast man? Well, Texan is neither. Texas, Texas man, I've learned from Texas man, is not even Southern man. He's his, his own unique individual. And uh, as I'm so fond of saying, I've never felt more welcome in any state than I have in Texas. Uh, the warmest, kindest, uh, best people. When Mrs. W and I went down there, and I was keynote speaking for Mother Earth News Fair, we had a meet and greet, and um, the best, some of the best people I've ever met. Warmest, most friendly, most inviting. I don't know how many invitations we have. I, um, I, I like Texas, man. So you uh, be, be proud. Uh, your, your state's so big where you get, your, you get your own designation. Shout out to Texas, man. We have a super chat from Oliver and new member. Welcome, Oliver. Good to have you here. He writes, East Coast is very different. I live in a large urban area, 2 million people with all five branches of military bases here. I am considering a move to the western parts of the state that is rural. Yeah, I, I would too. There's just too many, there's just too many folks there. Um, you have to remember that when people start getting desperate and those cities empty out, you know, their first place they're going to go is they're going to be like locusts out through the country. So even if you do have a pretty good place set up, just the 
the density of that area is going to be problematic uh, for sure. I, I, would, uh, I would move out west. I would get myself some land, come out to Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, all of those places. If you're a super hardy individual, maybe the Dakotas, but uh, know what you're getting into because that is a bitter land. We have a super chat, another super chat from Terrestrial Trajectory. Shout out to you. Thank you for your generosity. Who writes, uh, no from the word Arius to Arian. Arius, not Arian. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ignorant about that. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. I don't, um, you know, I just, I don't get too caught up in individual dogmas or different movements or religions, that sort of thing. I just don't trust it. I, I, I just, just, just stick to the good book. Stick to what you know. Uh, don't let, don't let anyone tell you if you're not part of our group, you can't, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. I just don't believe that whatsoever. I'm very, very skeptical about anyone that says that they have the truth. And everyone thinks, seems to think that. They've got the truth and everyone else is a heretic. And if you don't follow our ways, and, and it is a, it is, all of these organized religions are just the greatest ploy of the devil. Not that there's not good people in the systems. God has his people in these systems, or in these, all these organizations. But when you can't even get along and you, 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 a Protestant can't get along with a Catholic and vice versa, you know, that is not, that is not the love of Christ right there. That's not the way it is. Those... I'd be glad to see those, many of those fade away and, and, and die off because the real, the real church, the real movement, the real army of God is, is, is like we have here. People from lots of different places, people that are seeking the truth, uh, that are coming together, that want to know. That's where it's going to be. We don't need to be members. We don't need to have buildings. The church is not a building. It's not an organization. We don't need any of that stuff. We just need to go forward trusting in God. And it's important for us to get together. Be with fellow believers, I believe that. And this is the best we can do right now. This is the world that we live in. We have a super chat from ZJ, ZTJ1611 and two-year member, shout out to you, who writes, here watching from TradCon, here watching with my TradCon fiance. I love your videos so much. Been watching for years. Helped form me into a man I am again. And shout out to your TradCon fiancé. That's a very difficult thing to, to find. You have found a, a unicorn. A TradCon, if you're curious about that term, is just short for traditional conservative. It, it's, just, it's a label, but it's funny. I, and I like to use it because it makes people mad. <laughs> so, so Mrs. W and I, I play that up. Um, Mrs. W and I think that there should be a very strong distinction between man and woman that men should be men and women should be women. And she embraces her femininity and uh, her beauty and dresses appropriately, uh, dresses, wears skirts and, and um, dresses and uh, never tries to, we don't challenge each other. We don't try to compete with one another. Uh, we stay in our lanes and we, we it, it's, a, it's a great relationship. And that's, uh, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. And that is, uh, that's, that's what rebellion is now. Can you believe it? We are the rebels, the revolutionaries. <laughs> Who would have thought? We have a new member, Twilson V-Twin. Shout out to you. Shout out to you. Welcome. Priscilla Rose, welcome. We don't get a lot of Priscillas in here, one of our few females. Now, people think that I'm a misogynist. Uh, I am not. I, um, our lady friends are very, very welcome here. But you need to understand that you are here 
This is a privilege. This is, this is a, a channel f of intended for men. This is a format for men. And women have a bad habit of wanting to come in and, and, and have fear of, fear of loss or fear of missing out and think that they need to interject themselves in everything. You are very, very welcome here, but we just ask that you respect the, the form or the format. We have a super chat from Andrew Campbell and new member. Shout out to you, Andrew. And, and he says, Cody, for a family of five, should I buy 10 developed acres 10 minutes from town or 100 undeveloped an hour out? I would, I would get 10, see, how big is the town? If the town's not, if you're talking about a town and not a city, I would do the developed 100%. Uh, in the past, it has always, we, we've had the term sweat equity. <clears throat> you've always been, if you're will, in the, you've been able, if you were willing to put the work in, you could buy a piece of land and if you want to build your own house, you could, you could do it for a lot cheaper than what you could buy something already existing for. That's always been the case. Not anymore. With the cost of um, materials going up so high and the difficulty it is to find uh, tradesmen to come out and do things, well drillers, the cost of gravel, trucking, fuel, all of that, it's gotten to the point now where it costs more to build new than it does to buy something with an infrastructure already in place. I mean, goodness, if you're looking at a piece of land that already has a house on it, huge benefit. If it's got a well, you know, I don't know about your area, but that could be $30,000 to put a well in here. Gravel up here for a driveway, it doesn't go very far. If you've got a long driveway, you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. It's almost, you know, $350 a load to have gravel delivered up here. Fence, etc., infrastructure, barns, shops, all these things cost a fortune to build. And if you can't do them yourself and you're relying upon other tradesmen, other men to do it, it's hard to get people in the city to come and work, let alone out in the country. And, and you, there's just not a lot of time left to do these things. So I would move on it, whatever would get me out of the city and up and running the quickest. Um, and if it's already, if it's something that you can kind of move into and, and get going, I would take the 10 minutes out of the city for sure, or out of the town. Now, if it's a major city and you're only 10 minutes out, that's not country at all. You're talking about suburbs. So if it's a town, I, I would go with, with what, I mean, it's, I, I get it, the big hundred acres and this dream of going out there and, and doing it all yourself and building everything the way that you want to do it and all of that. I've done that before. I know, I, I know what's involved in it and it's, it's a hard job. I'm not, not that you can't do it, but it's a hard job and it's easy to overlook all those little details that just add up and add up and it's so, so expensive. Move into something that's going, maybe it's not perfect, but you can make it the way you want it. The important thing is to get in there, get established. You'll have your guard, get your garden in, get your fruit trees in, get your berries in, get your deer fences up, get your water supply sorted. I would do that. I would have existing infrastructure, 100%. We have a super chat from Anthony Mann. Shout out to you, Anthony. And Anthony writes, church is the body, not something you go to. Prayerfully read the gospels. Let God be true and ever man be a liar. Yes, that's right. You know, Paul, the early church, they were itinerant preachers. They traveled around and where did they meet? They met in people's homes. I've been involved in a lot of churches. And I've went to churches for multiple, multiple years. And you show up on Sabbath, show up on Sunday, 
oh, shaking hands with the same guy. Oh, how you doing, brother? You know, and oh, you know, small talk, insignificant. You don't have anything that's going on. Everyone putting on a mask, everyone putting on a facade. Here you've met this guy, you know, 20, 40, 50 times. You don't realize he's got a tremendous struggle. You don't, you don't know, you know, what's going on in his house because of putting on appearances trying to wear the best suit and, and everything, you know, portray yourself in a certain way. That's, that's so, so, so much of what happens. And you can sit next to a guy for years and not have any idea. But you get into his house. You go in there for dinner or invited over to play cards or what have you, and you start to see, oh, I didn't realize that he's got a handicapped daughter. Oh, I didn't realize that, that, that he's struggling with, with this. I didn't realize that he didn't have enough money. His truck's been sitting out there and he doesn't have the money for the transmission and he's taking the bus. You know, whatever it is, you're going to see how the man lives and you're going to see what's going on with his life and vice versa, back ways. And, and, and then you know. And there's just something much different about being in a man's house and intimate. You get to know someone so, so much more intimately than just showing up at, at a random building. Uh, where people are, are putting on a mask and not being what they are. I think the future church, it's going to be a necessity. There's going to be persecution coming, just like it has been in the past, where the church is going to have to go underground. It's not going to be an option to be a part of these things. And, you know, what really solidified that for me was the COVID lockdowns. The government was very sneaky in enticing churches and pastors to, to sign up for this um, tax-free, this, this 501c status. Sounds really appealing. Oh, we don't have to pay taxes. Well, what we found out with is it comes with teeth. Never will the government give you something where they don't take something back or don't, they don't get, some, get their hooks or claws in you. And this, these churches have been built around this 501c nonsense and have become so dependent upon it that the pastors, rather than doing what they knew to be right, they bowed the knee to protect their, their status their tax-free status, and they wouldn't push against the system and they close their churches down. There you have it. They didn't have the balls to push against the system. They put their fear of man ahead of their fear of God. Not all, but too many of them. Was that really a great persecution or was that more of an inconvenience? What do you think that they're going to do when they're truly persecuted? When they're truly under, when their life is under threat, the life of their of their children, their wife is under that threat. Are they going to stand for, strong? Are they going to stand shoulder to shoulder, shoulder with you, a soldier of God? Or are they going to tuck tail and they're going to bend the knee just like they did with COVID? Well, you know what they're going to do. They're going to do what they did. So when persecution comes and it's coming, it will force the church to go underground, just like it has in the past, and that will be meeting in the forests. That will be meeting in hunting cabins. That will be meeting in one another's basements in their homes. That's what it's going to be. And that's where the true believers will unite. That's where the body of Christ will come together. That's the future. So the, the more we get accustomed to that and, the, and those organizations established now, um, the better position we'll be in the future. Our last super chat from tra Terrestrial Trajectory. Thank you. Thank you for being so generous. We really appreciate that. You are making it one step closer for us to be completely subscriber-funded here, self-supported. He says, I geek out to old literature and philosophy and theology because it's fascinating, and you're so welcome. I moved off-grid three years ago with my family 
and could never have survived if not for your videos and lessons and things. Yeah, see, there's a man right there that's responding to the urging of the Holy Spirit. Um, the same thing that, that we responded to by getting out of the city and getting into the country. And even though you may not see a way, it seems impossible to you, God will make a way for you. He'll bring something into your life. He'll bring an opportunity. If you go forward, and it's what's really powerful, really, really, if you want to have super, a supercharged prayer life, pray with your wife. Pray together. Pray for your children. You two are one. The Bible tells us that when a man and woman are joined together, God sees them as one flesh. They, be, they can become one flesh. And if you're not praying with your loved one, if you're not praying with your wife, you're only half effective. There is a, a, a synergy, to use that overly used word, there's a synergy that, that happens when a man and woman come together of like mind to make something happen. If you come together as man and wife, pray together about your situation. You know, God, we, we're, we're concerned. We want to get out of the city. We don't know how we're going to do it. My job's not going to move. I don't even know how I'm going to make a living. Be consistent with it. Go forward in faith, prayerfully, and he'll open a door for you. He opened a door for us. He opened a door for our friends. I've seen it a thousand times, and he'll do it. Don't have that stinking thinking. Don't have that defeatist attitude. Resolve to do it. Gird up your loins and make it happen. You're the priest of your household. The responsibility is on you to make things happen. Bring your wife in. Don't go crazy with it. Don't drop too much on her at one time. Ease her into it, if we like to say. But start with prayer and you'll be amazing. You'll be amazed the mountains that can be moved to get you where you want. In 12 months, you could be in a different position. We have a super chat from Zephan Chapel Elliott and new member, our newest member. Shout out to you. Welcome. Welcome. Big fan is of LOL. Big fan of also love you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you for coming, beloved. Keep us in your prayers. I would encourage you. If you haven't been keeping the Sabbath, tonight would be a good time to start. Light a candle when the sun sets. Get your house prepared. You don't have to overcomplicate it. Just make the commitment that this is a time that we're going to set aside for family. We're not going to work. We're going to start adhering to. We haven't been doing it in the past. We don't really know what to do. But uh, pray about it and make it a part of your routine and start reaping the rewards and benefits that come from it. God set this day aside, the Sabbath day, and sanctified it and made it holy. It's a special day. It seems to me that God seems to be very close and that your prayers seem to have almost a supernatural power or ability um, when given and done. You honor God by doing it. And it's true. It's true. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to head out. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. We're at the tip of the spear here, as I like to say. We are, our family is constantly under attack, but we fear no evil. We have, um, our God is greater than he who is of the earth and of the world, and uh, I don't worry about it. Thank you for all your prayers. Thank you to the middlemen for all your help, and thank you to all the new members. Welcome, and look forward to seeing you guys. We'll do something nice for you this weekend. All right. May God bless you. We'll see you on the next stream. Mm -hmm.